Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by Cattle Baron Cigars. Cattle Baron Cigars has a rich, natural, aromatic, classic tobacco flavor. Made with the finest tobacco, perfectly blended for the most pleasant, satisfying, long ash you can buy anywhere. Cattle Baron Cigars has consistently scored an excellent in the 90s on their reviews. For more in-depth information on Cattle Baron Cigars, listen to our Brian Mussard podcast episode and visit cattlebaroncigars.com. Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. Today's episode of Brands and Barbed Wire, we get the chance to follow up on a story started in episode one. Today, we take a deeper dive into one of the most fabled names in the cattle business and speak with the gentleman that continues to keep the Ankeny name and genetics at the forefront of the cattle industry. Welcome, Virgil Lovell, to Brands and Barbed Wire. Thank you, Jim. It's great to get to talk to it, Jim. Yeah, Virgil, it's really good to have you on. So, I'd like to start, just tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself and your family and, and the ranch and sort of where it's located now and just kind of bring us up to speed on Virgil today. Well, right now I'm in Habersham County, Clarksville, Georgia. That's where most of the property is located at now where the herd is. This is where I grew up from the time I was a child. My family, my dad's family, the Lovells, and my mom's family, the Wilbanks, they're all from this area. There's still a lot of family left in this area, cousins and distant cousins. And, uh, of course, my dad and my mother both passed away. Habersham County at one time was the largest county in the state of Georgia. And now our address is Clarksville, Georgia, 125 Ankeny Farms Drive. And it's a beautiful part of the south of the state. It's in the mountainous region. Uh, you got views of all the Blue Ridge Mountains from different parts of the farm. And really, it's a neat area for the livestock. We have a temperate-type climate. Like right now, it's 51 degrees. Usually, it's a little warmer this time of year. Springs here. Things are blooming. Grass is getting green. It's a really nice area. And, and you get a lot of folks from Atlanta and different parts of the country that found what kind of place it is to live in and a lot of them are, have been moving here over the past few years and it's it's not a little hamlet anymore it is a beautiful part of the country there's no no question about that so virgil we've learned a little bit you know in episode one when we spoke with uh, lee leachman about his grandfather and and sort of the beginning of ankeny but tell us a little bit you know prior to ankeny tell us a little bit about you and your story and your family and and sort of how you all started in that part of Georgia. Both sides of my family have been here since the 1800s. My grandfather, who I'm named after, was Virgil Lovell. My dad's father was, was Car my father's Carlos. My grandfather, he and his, my grandmother had 10 children. They had a good life. And the whole thing with my grandfather, with raising 10 children, 
he really had no formal education, could hardly read or write, and ended up with a lot of land and a herd of purebred Angus cattle. It was one of the first herds, I, I think, in the state of Georgia. He had a champion herd of Hampshire sheep, Walker foxhounds, and they went to trials all over the South. And it's really amazing, if you think about it, to raise all those children and have the land and make what they did at a time, because think what that era would have been. And on top of that, of course, they had some, um, it was a little before my time, but my grandfather and, and, and some of the sons were in the in the booze business. That helped them a great deal. They called it moonshine down here, but I think they were probably a little more sophisticated than, than what you see on television. It was kind of a business for them, and, and it sounds like pretty successful. Well, I guess so. Like I said, I, I, I wasn't around then. To do what they accomplished, you have to respect. My grandfather was a well-respected man in his community. He, he passed away when I was just a young boy. I think I was barely eight years old. Totally respected, had great livestock, and from what I can barely remember, it was, it was an impressive farm. And he contributed a lot to this um, community and so did the family. So is that sort of where, I mean, did you sort of catch the interesting cattle at that time or was that, uh, did that come around at a little later point in your life? And the other question is just, did, did your dad kind of take that over or where did kind of, how did that transition to the next generation? Well, really, it's like for my dad, they never inherited any property. He made his own way, and uh, he had one other brother that had an interest in, in Angus cattle, but he had a, a great interest in it, and he liked the purebreds, and I was a, just a young boy, and I, we'd get those catalogs and the Angus Journal, and I studied it, and uh, when I was uh, just a young young lad, we, we had a really nice herd of Angus cattle, and, and we had our first sale, a production sale, like when I was 10 years old. My mother was a school teacher. And we had a way to make sure all of our registrations were proper and the books were proper. And uh, he he ran it as you'd run any business. And so then we'd get all these catalogs and occasionally I'd go to a sale with him and, and then got interested in showing some and ended up in 4-H and FFA and shown it. We, I showed it the, the first National Junior Angus Heifer show and I would have been 12 years old. And so it just became a, a, a lifestyle in some respect for me. And uh, I really liked the pedigrees and I liked the history of Angus cattle. I got to go to the Chicago Inter- International for the first time for me would have been 1965. And I'd have been just turned 11 years old. And actually, I went up, there was a a Georgia Angus Association field man by the name of Jim Boat. And my dad talked Jim into taking me uh, along with him. We flew from Atlanta to Chicago. It was a great event. And it was really, uh, to this day, I remember so many parts of it. And actually, in 1965, at Chicago, is the first time I saw all of the Ankeny cattle on exhibit there. And they were the dominant force in the Angus breed at that time. And that's when show-in was crucial. That's how you promoted your product. And actually, it was that way, had it been that way since uh, the mid-1950s. 
and they would have been probably the major advertiser in in the Angus Journal at the time. And and as a kid, you were familiar with that Ankeny name, I assume. And then to actually see them at at eleven must have been you know pretty neat for you to to experience. And then that was a major major show at the time. I mean, you don't hear about it anymore, but but back then it was a that was a big deal, wasn't it? It was a showcase for the United States. Yeah. For all, really, for all breeds. And the dominant breeds at that time were Angus, Hereford, and to some extent the, the Shorthorn, but that was, by that time it was waning as well. So then growing up in that, in an environment and, you know, take us sort of through your high school, college, and were you still involved or did you, uh, did you kind of go away from it for a little bit and then come back? Tell us a little bit about that, Virgil. Well, I was involved. I, I went through high school and actually started at the University of Georgia the same uh, summer that I graduated from, from high school. But I was still around the livestock and I went to Georgia and uh, straight through for a couple of years. And then I had an uncle. And my uncle, his name was Earl, and he decided that he and my dad had gotten into a, a a coal venture in West Virginia. And so Earl said, why don't you just skip? You've, you've got great grades. You're already a year ahead. Skip a quarter and go with me up there. And I did. And it, it really uh, was an eye-opener. I got to be around the business world. And they had purchased what was called a, a gob pile. And that was a refuge pile where, where coal had been mined, but you didn't have the cleaning plants and so forth when that coal was mined. So they bought probably over 4 million ton of coal and built a cleaning plant and ended up uh, uh, leasing a lot of property from the Dingus Rum Coal Company and then later sold that transaction. In the meantime, I got involved with another coal operation that that I, along with a, a businessman, John Mansfield, who was one of the largest distributors of gasoline in the United States. He was from Georgia here as well. That we bought a, uh, in essence, a bankrupt coal company, and we got the property in fee, and uh, ended up building a plant and and one of the largest mining companies in the United States. Did a transaction with them and an agreement that they would mine the coal, and we built a, a new plant. And then a couple of years later, we sold that company out to the S.J. Groves Construction Company, which at that time was one of the three largest construction companies in the United States. And so then I came back to Georgia, and I bought the property that is presently where Ankeny is today. Really? So how big would it have been at the time when you came back? And roughly how old were you? How much time did you spend sort of in the in that coal business and, and learning that business, you know, with your uncle and your dad? I was 23 years old. You left college, went and learned the coal business and, and was successful enough that at 23, you came back and bought the farm. That's correct. Wow. So then... And the farm, it uh, we had to do a lot of work on it. And so got more cattle, was doing some real estate transactions where you'd buy and sell land, and ended up with several hundred purebred Angus. It grew, and uh, it was called Havana Farms, and got some partners involved. Grew it to um, over 20,000 cows. We had them from Mississippi to Missouri. We had another farm here in West Georgia, South Dakota, Virginia, and Kentucky. Wow. And so, Lavanna and that cow herd, and, and about, you know, about what, when would that have been, and, and how old would you have been then, Virgil? 
Oh, well, Jim, I'd have been, this would have been from the time I was 23 up until six, seven years. And uh, then we bought an Angus bull in 1982 at the Auburn Test Station. And his name was Levanum. Mm-hmm. And and at that time, we we purchased all of it. It was in an auction. He had, he was at the Auburn Test Station. We gave three hundred twenty thousand for him. Wow. And at that auction, there was people there from Montana, all over the United States, and some of the major operations. And then that would have been in uh, February of nineteen eighty two. And then in that summer. We had bought a lot of animals from Ankeny in, in 79 and 80, mm-hmm. and we were doing a lot of business with each other. That's when Occidental owned it. Right. And so in, in the summer of 19, it's June of 1982, I got a call from Dr. Armand Hammer and, and uh, went and met him in his office in Washington. And so at that time, then we negotiated a transaction where... Ankeny Shadow Isle, that's what he called his farm then, or the company called Occidental did, called it was Ankeny Shadow Isle because he owned Shadow Isle Farms in Red Bank, New Jersey. And actually, he owned one of the first thing is bulls that they collected semen that, that they froze and used artificially. And it was Prince Eric Sunbeam. The bottom line is is that um, we sold him half of the bulls for a million three hundred fifty thousand, and then he became one of the great sires and most used fires in Angus history at that time. So Virgil, just curious, I mean, what about the bull when he first was tested and that made him special and how did you recognize that and how did you sort of know that was that was kind of the bull or at least the gamble that you took on that type of bull and how did you recognize that? Well, it's that uh, when you have a lot of cattle, a lot of people call you trying to sell you something. And so we were getting calls all the time about this great young bull and we were coming back from uh, looking at some cattle in Mississippi, and we stopped in uh, Auburn. It was on a Saturday. The bull was an exceptional individual, and he'd broken all test station records for the whole country for rate of gain. It's, 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 he didn't have all the technology he had today, but feed conversion. He was all 100% endless bred. Gentleman that had bred him was R.C. Price, and Mr. Price only had 20 cows, and he bought all of them from uh, Murray Corbin in Oklahoma. He got them bred to a bull called P.S. Power Play, which was one of the great young bulls in the country that had been bred by Penn State. And so this was a natural mating, uh, AI mating from just a, a, a set of females that he'd given 800 bucks for his open efforts. So the rest is fairly well history. He was just he was just an exceptional animal. Mm-hmm. He he was a totally outlier. And and how I heard from him is that you know from from people from the regional field men from the association people that had gone and see him because his record as, that he was establishing was was unprecedented at that time. And that would have probably been what some of the early stages of performance testing and. Yeah, sort of moving a little bit from the show ring was king to to starting to migrate towards performance and and measuring and things like that. Was that is that what was happening at the time? That's true. And at that time, we had a, an Angus bull called Warrant, Sir Williams Warrant, and Sir Williams Warrant at that time had 
had become had, in his show career was the winningest bull in the probably in the history of the Angus breed at that point. But there was a trend to, to breed these cattle taller and longer, and uh, and they were they were getting fairly large, and um, and with that come came some uh, some problems with calving and so forth. And so the the change was starting the other way again. After um, Dr. Hammer, who owned Ankeny at the time, after he purchased part of Levanna, your all's relationship continued to grow from there, or or what what sort of happened after that, Virgil? Well, I'd met Dr. Hammer before all of that because when I was involved with that the coal company in West Virginia, I had met Dr. Hammer because. Occidental also owned Island Creek Coal Company. And at that time, Island Creek was one of the largest coal companies in the United States. So your relationship really started as a business relationship and your love for cattle is what continued to connect you. That's correct. And I think you told me you owed a lot to Dr. Hammer as far as the cattle business. I did. I did. I, he was, a, at that time in, in, in the world, he was such an influential business especially in the oil industry. And so Occidental was involved with chemicals, coal, oil and gas. And at that time also, you know, Dr. Hammer was, was instrumental in the, in, the, in, in the first visit of when Nixon went to China and also to Russia. Really, he was somewhat an, of an international ambassador. And so how old would he have been at that time, roughly, Virgil? Mm, it was the first time I got to know him. Mid to mid seventies, probably. Oh wow! And because that would have been in the seventies when I first met him, and I think that when he when he passed, he was either eighty nine or ninety. Okay, so so from the sort of the mid seventies to eight or nine or eighty nine or ninety, you know that, that ten or fifteen years, your all's relationship grew, and then how did how did you, I guess, first get the opportunity to then follow in his footsteps and and purchase the Ankeny um, herd and name and We'd done a lot of business interacting with the cattle world through the 80s. And so when he passed away, Occidental immediately started selling a lot of assets that had nothing to do with any of their core businesses. And because of some of the folks that I knew at Occidental, we had talked beforehand about all of this, if they ever sold it. And, 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 and of course, he, he had passed all that on to other executives at Occidental in Los Angeles. And so it was kind of a natural. And, uh, you know, not everyone wants to buy 40-something hundred cattle and a ranch and all the equipment and all the expense that goes with it. Right, right. Did you think, um, did you ever think that you'd get that opportunity as a, as a young kid and, and going to Chicago for the first time? I mean, you know, I know that was, that was, you know, kind of a, a big deal back then. I mean, did you ever, did you ever really dream that you can get that opportunity? Well, I don't know if dream's the right word, but I thought, you know, if you, if, if you were going to be able to have the premier breeding herd at that time, it was in, in any breed, it was, was the name Ankeny and those cattle. So much you may have dreamed about it, but uh, sometimes you don't, you, you, you think maybe this dream can never become a reality, but it did work out. So now, sort of take us take us um, to the next level. I mean, you took Ankeny and you expanded 
it had predominantly up to that point been Angus cattle, hadn't it? And and then what happened? Well, it, it had been Angus cattle. But what happened in the interim was with uh, what I was doing in the eighties. We bred Charlays. We were involved with Slares. Uh, in the late 70s, Kianinas, or earlier than that, Simmentals, even some Galvies, and we had championship animals at Denver in all those breeds. You had champions in all those breeds and uh, at the stock show in at Denver. At the National Western. And that would have been sort of national championship you know, shows for a lot it of It was the national. It, it, it would have been all national for every breed. Which Which ones do you recall during that time? Which ones do you recall the most? and and maybe you were the most excited about during that era? Well, I was excited about all of them. During my life in the purebred cattle business, I got to know uh, Harlan Ritchie at Michigan State. And to this day, I think he was maybe one of the foremost judges of livestock and and geneticists that, that I've ever known. With Dr. Ritchie, he said, you know, there's no such thing as a bad breed. Every breed has something to offer and some type of respect of, of wherever that, that it's uh, exactly where it came from, like the Solaires in France, the Charlais in France. Mm-hmm. And so I can honestly say I, I never had really prejudice toward any breed. And all of them were, uh, they were rewarding to have. So you purchase Ankeny and, and you've got the show winners and sort of take us through the, the 90s and, and maybe early 2000s as, you know, did, did Ankeny transition from largely national champions to you had Levanna and the, and the performance bull? I mean, did Ankeny make the same transition? Well, we, we showed at Denver in the early 90s in the carloads and uh, on the hill somewhat. And we had like Grand Champion Carload. I remember one year we had Grand and Reserve and the Champion Pen of Three, and we had, we had a Champion Bull on the Hill. But essentially, by 1994, 95, we we had quit showing altogether, and so had a lot of other breeders. And we were more focused on really the genomics, and uh, we we had a, a a good education somewhat in early genomics and what was with Roy Wallace at Select Sires. And so he was in our part of the country a lot, and and, uh, especially when I was in Nebraska, and we spent a lot of time together. And um, Roy was, he educated me a lot as far as the genomics. And so we were more concentrated on that. And also, we had a large uh, bull business in Nebraska. Because mm-hmm. we were selling over 2,000 bulls a year. And would that have been multi-breed or what at the time? Just Angus. Just, Just Angus. Angus. Okay. And and that would have been under Ankeny? It was all under Ankeny. Right. Since, uh, and since 89, 90, everything's been under Ankeny. And so maybe take us to where Ankeny is today, what breeds you're working with, and, and what, what excites you, I guess, about the purebred industry today, Virgil? Well, I think the most important thing as far as I'm concerned or, or hopefully the herd is that we've really come a long way with the genomics and and to a point to where the data's enough data's been taken that it's it's much more highly predict it gets more predictable every day. And so now what I see is that 
with what uh, the, the breeders are doing now, they're focusing more on carcass traits, low intake of feed, higher maternal. And just recently, in the in the last year, we bought a handful of purebred Charley cows. And I, I see breeders in the Charley doing more of the same thing. I think uh, the Charley has a tremendous future, probably more so now than ever. Uh, they've got a good breed association, and they've got some really serious producers that I think that are really focusing on the important traits because in the end, we're all in the food business. Right, and, and this is this is sort of sort of you've come back around to, um, to some of the Charley cattle that you had in the 80s. You've kind of come back around to, to Charley a little bit, and then and you still got your Angus cattle. And I think, we do. yeah, I think one thing that that at least I've noticed is is you still really appreciate phenotype, even with all the um, all the data and numbers that come out. They still need to be phenotypically pleasing and and correct and all that. I mean, is that something that still you just can't get past? Oh, I, I think it's I, I think it's not necessarily get past. I think it's crucial, right? Because it has to do with structure. Uh, it has to do with the commercial producers. They have to have uh, animals that are sound, especially the herd bulls, and they have to have animals that that's going to sire the the type of product where they can keep the heifers and keep advancing themselves and advancing, especially with the with the cost that we're going to be facing not only now but in the future. I, I think it's crucial. I don't think people can afford to have many throwaways anymore. Yeah, I think that's right. So, Virgil, where do you see Ankeny? going in the future and then you know you've seen a lot of transition in your in your lifetime you've seen you know these cattle that were early in your in your childhood that would have been shown in Chicago and then went through that sort of frame score bigger is better phase and then started bringing them back down and and then going through performance and then genetics and and now genomics and and I mean you've you've really seen this cattle business ups and downs and, and everything else and, and sort of, you know, speak to that. And, and then what you sort of see as you look towards the future with, with a, the cattle business and B, you know, how Ankeny's going to, going to fit in that. The future with the cattle business is only, I think so far you can move in the cattle business because you're still going to take nine months to have a calf and you're going to have to have the, the, the input cost. But hopefully, hopefully, because of the meat, that I think the, the product is getting more efficient and better. Hopefully. The thing that, again, that, that is the cost situation, I don't know if anyone knows where that's going. Something we've got to pay attention to is you know, how efficient we can produce these cattle, I think. I, I agree. And, uh, and, on, and, and that, again, that goes back on the on the intake of these cattle and the feeding and the length of time that they have to be fed. No one, I guess, has, I know no one has a crystal ball, so with all of these different genomic at our fingertips now, that the, the knowledge that you can get, and it'll get probably much more far, further advanced, that in the future, it may be that there, there'll be a whole new uh, era in how these cattle 
are fed, how they're backgrounded. I don't know. Frankly, that's above my pay grade. And I, and I don't pretend to be a feedlot expert or I don't know really anything about the packing business. I think that's a very difficult business to be in. And, and so, and I think you really need to be a fairly large company to be in. As I see it, I think from the purebred perspective is that you just have to continue to try to produce a product and use all the technology that's available. Some of it may work for you. Some of it may not. Mm-hmm. But I, I think all of it's worth putting your toe in the water because there's so many things that I think a lot of us have tried that we wouldn't, that we weren't so positive on, but it, it came to be that we, we needed to do it. And we did more of it. As far as, as, as our operation, my personal focus is, is on quality, not necessarily volume. And the good thing is, is that you may not have to have as many to create the same value. And the tools we have today give you the opportunity to sort of find those top end ones that you focus on, you know, earlier and, and allows us to sort of focus on them and propagate them and, and move on. I think that's, I think I hear what you're saying. You have the opportunity you can make as much on, on those few really, really good ones by mating them right. than you can a bunch of them. Absolutely. And you don't, uh, you don't need as much real estate. So many items now that if, if you're wanting to just produce a really quality product and you can propagate as many as you want to, or is it that you want to spend money for and move on. Virgil, um, as we wind down here, so if someone, if some of our listeners wanted to find out more about Ankeny, your cattle and, and the program and, the history of Ankeny is, is there some place they can get that? Well, our website is ankenyfarms.com. We're located in Clarksville, Georgia. And also all of our information is there if you want to get in touch with us. And anything that we can do, we'd be glad to, to try to help out. And if anyone wants to visit, you're more than welcome to come here. And so we've been at this same location since 1978 hopefully it'll be here a little longer so anybody's welcome at any time all right thank you virgil i know uh if you haven't been to that part of the united states uh you're missing out you'll uh you'll show them a beautiful part of the country and still some of that good uh southern hospitality i'm sure we will and i appreciate that very much jim and it was been uh it's been great visiting with you this afternoon Yeah, thank you, Virgil. I appreciate your time and we'll look forward to talking to you some more down the road. Thanks, Virgil. Thank you. For our producer, Carlos Cheriboga, I'm your host, Jim Johnson. God bless and thank you for listening to Brands and Barbed Wire. The Brands and Barbed Wire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. You can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbed Wire Facebook page, and at brandsandbarbwire.com. We hope you enjoyed Brands and Barbwire. The Brands and Barbwire podcast is sponsored by JMAR Genetics, cattle made to grow and grade. The annual New Beginnings Bull and Female Sale will be held April 21st on DD Auction. Visit jmargenetics.com for more information.